Here we go. This is your host, Cameron Ivey of Privacy Please, and thank you so much for tuning in each and every week. If this is your first time, welcome to the show. Tell your friends about it if you like it. If you don't, let's just pretend you didn't listen to it. Thanks again for coming in, and we hope you enjoy the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Privacy Please. I am your host, Cameron Ivey, and with me, as always, Mr. Gabriel Gums. Gabe, how you doing? I'm well. It's Friday. I love recording Friday. Fridays. It's Friday. Yes, sir. Friday, as the kids say. It is the best day, usually. You know, we, we do have an excellent guest here today for you guys, uh, Vikas Bhatia. He's the founder and CEO of Just Protect. And we are super excited to have you on. Happy Friday, guys. Cam, Gabe, thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming um, on. Looking forward show. to a great conversation. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. We start as we always do with one question. What's that question, Mr. Cameron? Tell us about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, how long is a piece of string? <laughs> oh, no, he didn't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, it depends. If you're doing like a magic trick. You're like right, right, exactly. Pulling it out. Um, so I answer this differently every time. Um, so if anyone's like actually following, they, they're going to might get some new and interesting tidbits. So. Second generation immigrant, um, uh, got a lot of entrepreneurial spirit academically. It wasn't that hot. Um, wanted just to make some cash and do some, you know, hustle a bit. Um, so the hustling obviously is interesting because you, um, you can get into some interesting situations. Um, but family at home was quite important. You know, my grandmother lived with us. So, uh, there was certainly, while the opportunity to stray from the line was there, the moral compass that that we had to live by at home kept kept us on the kept certainly me on the straight and narrow as much as possible. Um, you know, I've always been a disruptor, always gone against the status quo. Um, so you kind of combine all of those things, and um, really, I wanted to, um, I wanted to you know, not struggle as much as my folks did. So uh, I'm the first person in my family to get a college education, got over the line, um, wanted to initially become a finance person. I didn't, every finance person I knew drove nice cars and lived in nice houses. So I was like, ah, I want to do that. But actually it was, at, it was while I was at college, that I started to hang out with um, a whole bunch of like tech geeks who were like instant messaging with other universities and, while it seemed really cool that you could chat to uh, chat to a girl in a different college, the the whole notion of I'm not just stuck behind one computer, the network really um, really caught my attention. Um, and this we're talking probably uh, at the start of the uh, the dot com era in the late '90s. Um, my best friend's older brother just bought a uh, Porsche 911 996 Sky Blue. I said to him, I said. I said to my uh, my best friend, I was like, what did your brother do? He said, he's an IT project manager. I was like, ah, oh, so it's not just the finance people that drive nice cars. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I can do this thing because I kind of like it. So 
Um, that then started the, the the tech journey, if you will. Um, a self, self-taught MCSE. I studied more in the first 18 months after I graduated than I did in the four years at college because <laughs> I just really liked it. Um, and um, the you know, having navigated through Y2K and um, some of the some of the you know fundamental uh, fundamental t- uh, technology roles like service desk and desktop, uh, I was uh, working for an organisation that um, got hit by the I Love You virus in 2000. I was the guy that ran to the data center, pulled out the cables, um, and that's where my cybersecurity journey started. Um, so. The fast forward story is um, I um, I was working for a pretty large organization um, and moved into a security role. I got pushed into the security role, really, by someone that wanted to bring me over. Um, I realized I wasn't that technical. So then I got, again, pushed into consulting, did a whole stint in consulting, and um Long story short, when uh, when that relationship ended, I, I took that as the opportunity to be um, be the entrepreneur I always wanted to be. So I was an entrepreneur forever. Uh, started a consulting firm, and um, after being a burnt out consultant, I was like, "This is this is stupid. This is broken. Like, let's uh, let's fix this problem." Um, and that's what gave birth to Just Protect. So. Uh, it's a very long story, very quickly. Happy to dive into any any part of that. But um, there's, there's one place I do want to start first. There's a please. lot. I've been there. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. I've been there. Uh, we can put a pin in mm-hmm. several things. Like what? Like tell me about the very nice minivan you drive today. Put a pin in it. Put a pin in it. <laughs> but I want to start with where you opened up the show. Uh, parents of immigrants. Yeah, entrepreneurial spirit, and you're now the founder of Just Protect. We we talk about it a lot in, uh, I think, in this country. We certainly haven't covered it a bunch on this show. I don't know if we've covered it at all on the show. Although I do personally know that several of our guests uh, are similar to yourselves in that they were they were first generation uh, Americans as well that started started their own technology organizations. Um, you know, they're the really famous ones that people like to talk about, right? There's there's Elon Musk and there's and <clears throat> And uh, and Steve Jobs, etc. But I think we, we lose sight of of the fact that you know most small businesses are in fact uh, you know they're owned by immigrants, started by immigrants, and yeah. and technology is no different. There's there's a whole lot Correct. of them. In fact, yeah, there. It, I if I were to do the math, I I would venture a guess that there would be more immigrants than not in the infosec world by the time I throw in my, my Israeli comrades and everyone else. Mm-hmm. Is there is there a different kind of pressure that comes with that? Is there how does that? How do you look at that outside of just the lens of IT, like in your in your home life and your family dynamics? Because I know I know immigrant life too, right? And and families can put a lot of pressure on you to succeed. What does what does that look like for you, then? Um, well, there's a couple of things, right? My uh, so the way that I was raised, my parent, my dad didn't even finish high school. My mum had gone to college, um, and the way that they uh, raised my sister and I was very much you need to be, don't bring shame on the family. That was the first thing. Don't bring shame on the family, period. The second thing was we're not going to tell you what to do, but when you decide what you want to do, be the best at it. Be really good at whatever that thing is. Um, And then from another perspective, it was 
don't think that you have the same playing field as everyone else. Right. So 100% is never enough. Add on to that that English up until I would say I was like seven or eight was my third language. So, so when you're, when you're uh, exposed to two different languages at home, because my, my grandma spoke one language and my parents spoke another just because of where they were born and raised, even though the three of them could communicate, in- English came a, <laughs> a, a very strong third, right? right. Um, so so when, you're, when you're at school and you already know that you need to do more than everyone else, you know that you're different, you know that um there's there's an additional amount of pressure and you're not being like you know you speak to most south asian people and they say my parents wanted me wanted me to be a doctor or a lawyer or something you know something like that um i didn't have that which then meant i had to work out what was out there <laughs> um and and at times it was really easy because there wasn't that pressure and and at other times um there, there was, you know, the B wasn't good enough. You got, what do you mean you got a B? Why didn't you get an A, right? There was all of those kind of things. Because, um, but it, um, I think it, I think it instilled a, uh, a level of grit or tenacity that isn't, um, that isn't taught. I mean, like when I was at college, there wasn't a class, you couldn't do a college college class in entrepreneurialism that was just being called a dealer right? it's amusing that it's even a thing still though honestly right right, like we're, gonna, right. we're gonna teach you how to do this unique thing that's that has a different journey for every single person and we're going to teach you how to how to i i understand that yeah. there are patterns that that are, are certainly recognizable and even repeatable for that journey but no you you, you make a very good point um, well i mean the the entrepreneurial path if you if you take um an entrepreneur's story yeah certainly there are there are there are dots in that story in that timeline that that can be aligned to different entrepreneurs but but every entrepreneur might have a different motivator a different driving force a different a different level of success criteria and and for the most part that entrepreneurial journey is unstructured so how can you make something structured out of something that is unstructured if unless you're really smart (laughs) right with that drive you mentioned you started a consulting company and you encountered a problem yeah and uh, and those of that have heard me wax on you know how much i love problem space i i I live and breathe inside a problem space it is the thing that gives me comfort yeah what was the problem that you encountered what was the problem that said you know what just protect needs to exist tomorrow Great question. So, um, the problem was the um, the problem was that the information security world needs to conduct, or privacy world needs to conduct assessments. So, from a timeline perspective, uh, the target breach happened um, just after I'd started the consulting business, and I started to see um, both large and smaller companies struggle with the um, the volume, the speed, and the accuracy of conducting these assessments. So I was at the Federal Reserve. That was on like the biggest client that we had. Great. And uh, it they would take six to eight weeks to get a, 
a response from a third party. That third party would supply documentation that didn't even belong to them just to get, just to close the deal. Mm. Um, in parallel, I was seeing smaller organizations reach out to me in New York City who were receiving these assessments and essentially calling on the kid that knew, had all the answers, right? Can you help me pass this test? And so I, I kind of saw that the way that the assessments were being asked and the way that they were being answered um, presented an opportunity for the process to change. Not it, it was more the how you do it, not the what you do. Mm-hmm. And, and then taking kind of two steps back and, and looking at how, um, how I had conducted assessments and uh, how my peers, you know, I was a former big four risk assessor, and I remember a conversation I had with a with a now partner at one of the big big four firms. I said, "So roughly, you know, if you were going to go in and do a risk assessment in an organization, roughly, how much time do you actually spend doing the assessment versus um, trying to find who the right person is, trying to schedule meetings, etc." And um, we we laughed a lot. It was about fifty percent. So you, you imagine that. A, opportunity, right? A $50,000 engagement to bring in one of the big four. 25,000 of that was being spent trying to find the right person and schedule meetings with them. It's good business. Get it. Well, and and, and Gabe, you've known me for a while. You know, I I just had enough. I was burnt out. There were, you know, this was the time, uh, this was around the time that, we were trying to win uh, opportunities from IT service providers, right? We were differentiating ourselves against IT service providers. We were differentiating ourselves against the big four. We were differentiating ourselves against um, now law firms or auditors or CPA firms that just had just realized doing an assessment was like the cool thing because everyone needed an assessment. So um, realizing that being being the, uh, you know, the decade plus New Yorker with the with the elbows to prove it. I was like, I'm, I've had enough of this crap. Well, it was around that sort of time that um, the New York State Department of Financial Services cybersecurity regulation came out, Part 500 for those that um, are in the know. And Part 500 mandated that every financial services organization that uh, was in the New York State jurisdiction, and that number at that time we we had identified 17,000 organizations. Right, it was it was a significant number. Had to conduct an assessment of each one of their third parties that collected, processed, transferred, stored non-public information. Hold on a minute, like, are you effing kidding me? You've now got maybe you know, let's call it the eighty twenty rule, where like eighty percent of these organizations have their stuff together. And uh, sorry, twenty percent have it together, eighty percent don't. Well, now you now you're talking what uh, like twelve thousand organizations that are going to need to conduct anywhere from fifty to five hundred assessments a year on their third parties. Each one of those taking four to six weeks. That's if you know what you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So I was like. All right, stop, collaborate, and listen. 
that? See, you didn't even have to. I was going to add that you in. Like that? There you, you like go. Boy, boy. That sounds like something else. It's vanilla ice if I've ever heard it. <laughs> well, I could have done. I could have done. I could have done the Hamilton and said, and to me, he says in parentheses. <laughs> oh, that's hot. That's hot. There it is. <laughs> there it is. That's, that is now the show title. Um, and, and so, you know, recognizing all of that and, and then spending uh, spending a month just trying to get a no from, from people in the industry, I, I said, this has got to change. This is yeah. this has got to change. Um, so that's that's what gave birth to Just Protect. It was the either be a victim of the problem or fix the problem. Right. So I decided on the latter. Nice. You said that I, there were a lot of there were a lot of questions that that uh, were being asked, kind of the wrong way, etc. And you could I, the way I heard it was, you know, ask the wrong questions, get the right answers. So what does it take? to ask the right question and have you seen any patterns in the way people ask the wrong questions oh absolutely i mean let's let's just think about this at the micro level why is it that i can um do a personality assessment like a myers-briggs complete all of the complete all of the questions they pull out the middle sheet and they can tell you what your personality is that in the psychometrician's world, right, is a non-proctored assessment. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So you can determine a, you can determine what the you can determine a response in a non-proctored fashion. The same would apply to a CISSP or a CIPP exam, right? You do the exam, it's non-proctored, you get a result. Okay. Well, compliance and security and privacy professionals are not psychometricians. We know what we want to ask. And we know what the follow-on questions will be, but we are not programmed, educated, trained on how to how to actually devise these assessments. So the uh, the very loose example that I give is, okay, um, you you walk into a dentist and the dentist says, "Do you floss?" You say yes, okay, because you always want to give the answer that is deemed positive, right? Puts you in a positive light. Well, mm-hmm. if the dentist now says to you, so how often do you floss? Do you floss once a week, twice a week, three times a week, four times a week? Even if you lie, you're more likely to stay closer to the truth. So if it's never, like I never floss, but I say I floss once a week, you're, you're at, the, at the end of the scale or you're at the right part of the scale that allows that person to make a determination. So now if you look at the questions that um, may be asked in a, um, in a uh, DPA, right, data privacy assessment or GDPR or ISO or NIST or any of these assessments, that the, the people writing these assessments take a control. The control is, do you have a DPA? Do you have a DPO? Yes, I have a DPO. Well, the person that's receiving that assessment will, will then say, who is it? When were they when were they hired? What qualifications do they have? Right. And we call that we call that veracity. Right. Veracity is determining the truth of a response. Mm. So so if you were to rephrase um, the question in a way 
that preempts the veracity. That helps you get to the truth quicker. So I, another example that I like to give on any one of these assessments, it will say, do you, I mean, insurance application forms, right? Like for, um, for cyber or privacy, do you have antivirus or malware on your machines? Yes. Well, wouldn't it be better to ask what percentage of your machines have antivirus or malware? Because you're cornering them, right? You're getting, you're getting, yeah. even if, even if they're not giving you the exact response, right? The, the, the actual, the actual number that as a human, what we like to do is paint a positive image. So if you apply a 20% margin of error, you're still closer to the truth out of the gate than you would be if you just asked the yes or no binary question. That's interesting. <sighs> Veracity. It is not a topic of conversation when we talk about third-party assessments. And you and I have been living in the world of third-party assessments from a security perspective from the better part of forever. Privacy is now just entering that conversation. Mm -hmm. The challenge I think that that, uh, organizations are going to have is on the other – the people asking the questions now, though – are lawyers, not other security people. And the problem is when a lawyer asks you a question, they tend to already know the answer before they ask it. So how do you deal with veracity when doing privacy assessments? Let me ask that question differently. Yeah. Can you get me to veracity if I wanted to truly assess the privacy practices of another third party? Can, mm-hmm. Will your veracity, will the way you tease that out help me get to a truthful understanding of that in ways that others might not? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, let's, let's take a, let's take a standard assessment. Like I, I'm a I'm an enterprise and I I want to assess you guys, right? I want to assess Spirit. What do I do? I send a spreadsheet to my account rep, and my account rep or my sales person takes said assessment, puts it on the SharePoint, puts it on the OneDrive uh, online Google Sheets or whatever, and says to the team, "Holy crap! If we don't complete this, we're not going to get this deal." when the responses go back, whoever they may be completed by, the assessor needs to now determine if the, uh, the response provided is actually possible. Let's, before we even gauge its accuracy, it, is it even possible to, uh, to provide that answer? Then if it is, what is the veracity thereof? So wouldn't it be better to firstly identify who in that organization is the most appropriate person to provide that response before requesting a response. That makes perfect sense. I legitimately don't know that something similar to that exists in the privacy world and more so than the security side of things, given the implications of the impact on people. I think there's uh you know, our motto is protect what matters most. And the name of your organization is just protect. And, and, and I like that. I, I like that. That is at the heart of what it is you're doing. Um, I'm going to switch gears just for a little bit. Cause sure. you said something at the start of the show that also really touched me. You, 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 you kind of listed out the, the ethos of, of, of immigrants and, 
and I aligned with almost all of them, except for the doctor and lawyer one, I think. <laughs> probably not. I probably just ignored it because I was like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> but you mentioned like bringing shame on the family, which is a serious thing. Like you, I, I don't know, you know, what percentage of our listeners are or aren't uh, the, 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 the children of immigrants, but that is, that is a significant thing. And part of that is very much tied to privacy. Like immigrants have this, this like, this innate mm-hmm. sense of privacy, I feel that a lot of others don't. And part of that is fair, right? Like you're in a new place, so you don't want to you want to overshare. You don't really know know who's going to use that information and how. And and part of that is very much what you mentioned, you know, not bringing shame. Um, sure. It'd be nice if organizations had some sense of that. We talk a lot about you know brand reputation, but look, I see the stock price. Like the first thing I do every time I hear I hear about another breach is I look at the stock price and I take note, and then I come back in two weeks and I take note again. And it's always gone back. And there's been some empirical research on this. It's something like 98% of the time, it, it goes up. Like it, it returns. It, it thoroughly returns. And so my long-winded question to you is, I, I'm curious, like, what does privacy mean to you? The child of an immigrant, the man who is, who is thought it important to include veracity when trying to just get the answer to a question when everyone else is going, I, I just, I'm just trying to schedule meetings over here. And that's going to be 25 grand, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's, um, we, we were always taught the, your family business is your family business, right? Don't air your dirty laundry in public, whatever that laundry is, right? My, my dad, um, arrived in the UK in the, in the sixties where there was uh, a lot of, a lot of racial tension, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, so even um, even when you even when you were successful, even when you bought something nice in the house or bought a new car, you, you tried to keep it as low key as possible because you didn't want to become a target, right? Call that paranoia. Call that um, you know a, a byproduct of the social you know the social the social times, etc. Um, that really extended. And it, it, until even before I got into security, it, it it was a way maintaining privacy was a a way to minimize the vulnerabilities that could be exploited. Right, I I kind of like you know if you go to your security and privacy training, threats and vulnerabilities and exploitation, everyone's talking the same language. Um, where that's extended to, particularly with the internet, etc., is. I mean, today we talk about security and privacy, but when I started my career, it was just IT done right. It was need to know, you know, information is on the need to know basis. If you didn't need to know it, don't share it. Um, So what does security and privacy mean to me? Um, It's really about the fundamentals. The fundamentals are if someone needs to know a piece of information about you, about your family, about your child, whatever, um, and it's legit, give it to them. If it isn't legit or there's some, like, questionable motives or, you know, it, it's not warranted, don't give it to them. I think I think we as humans like to please other people, right? So you go and fill in a doctor's, you know, you go to a new patient form, fill in a new patient form, and they're asking all sorts of information, like how much of that information is actually relevant to the matter at hand and to the provision of this healthcare 
if it's not relevant, don't give it to them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now those laws have, have, have kind of reinforced it from the other angle of you, you need to be explicit about why you're collecting it. And when asked, you need to tell them what, what legal reasons you have for processing this data. Um, which well, is isn't one that, of those isn't questions. That, isn't it, sorry to interrupt. Isn't, it, isn't that just because um, the few mess it up for the majority? It's, that's 100% it. That's 100% yeah. it. The, yeah. But there's a good question too. Is that the right question to ask? Uh, what is your legal basis for processing this data? Because that's the question that that gets asked. And that's that's the way I see the question asked. And I'm asking explicitly about, you know, I, again, because I'm stuck on this now, right? Like, because I too am not a psychometrician, right? Like, sure. but I am, I am very much a product person, which is to say, again, I spend a lot of time living in, in problem space. And, and a large part of, of, of what I do is, is in understanding the problems people have. In order to do that, I have to ask the right questions. And you've you've got me thinking, are we asking the right question when we ask the question, what is your legal basis for processing that data? They have no idea. People people don't I I would say that, you know, similar to similar to the problems that I saw when um when third party security assessments were on the rise. It's it's the same now with privacy. I I would be remiss if I didn't call out small, medium-sized businesses that must collect mountains and mountains and mountains of information that is in excess of the information that's needed to provide that service. But if you say to someone, you don't need that data, they're going to say, just in case. The amount of times, even, even some of our providers, like recent now recent providers, I'll say, what what do you need in order to be successful? Give me everything. That that's not a good answer. What what does everything mean to you? Does that mean every single data element that exists on every single person that has ever interacted with this company? Like, I'm not going to do that. I don't in my in my right mind, I'm not going to do that. So I think um before before we go down this road of is the is the entity um collecting the right amount of data we really need we really need an education effort on do you even know what you have right this inventory you you look at the nist you know the various nist frameworks what do they start with they start with identify most people always. don't even know most people don't even know what they have always every single nist framework starts with identify <laughs> not only not only do they not i'm still alive not only do they not welcome. <laughs> um, not only do they did not, I do it again? Because I think I did it again. <laughs> no, no, no. You're good. Oh no, he didn't. Not only do they not know how to de- have their data identified, but they a lot of them don't know what to do with it after that. Right. And I, I, w- I wanted to talk about two things first. The one thing that I wanted to bring up was I really appreciate uh, your story just because I think there's a lot of people out there that are they're they're held back by something um, and taking a chance on themselves. And if you think about it, the the saddest part of it is there's, there's people that are working harder than them that aren't as talented, but they're taking their shot. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it, it speaks a lot of volumes about the person you are. And um, I just, I really appreciate 
that. Uh, so it's uh, <clears throat> just wanted to say that. And appreciate uh, that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and 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 to go back to what we're talking about now, it, that's the problem. So, what do you do with it after you find it and identify it? And and I thought of a really funny bit when you were explaining how some people, they have all this data and they're like, do I keep it? Do I get rid of it? We should, we should create a show called Data Hoarders. Can, <laughs> can you imagine how entertaining that could be if it was done right? <laughs> you're going you're gonna to get the storage companies trying to take us out. You're going to have a Seagate van just pull up alongside you coming out of work. You're going to get kidnapped. Careful, Cam. You don't, want to mess, you don't want to mess with big storage. You hear me? Don't mess with big storage. All right. All right. All right. I'll back off. I'll back off. I just thought that I was good. What was that? You're going to back up? Good. good. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not to say that the storage of the data is unwarranted, right? You've got regulatory requirements. You've got to keep data for seven years, right? Like financial services, et cetera, et cetera. You want to make sure that for to you know for quality and training purposes, you keep the right amount of information. But but there is a way to do, I mean the HIPAA rules on de-identification have been there since what two thousand seven or something I don't know something well, crazy be, like honestly, that. it might be earlier if I recall right. because because HIPAA laid out somewhere around like ninety eight or two thousand what the guideline for what what the minimum requirements for de-identification were like they laid out the original requirements mm-hmm. a long time ago yeah yeah right you're, you're right i mean the the rules have been there the standards have been there um i think um for a very long time people who um are you know people who are either custodians of the data or owners of the businesses that that have this data have um, excluded themselves from the relevance of the problem. And I think with the interconnected nature of businesses, um, the dependency on the internet, cloud storage, et cetera, et cetera, uh, anyone that thinks that they're too small or not, you know, this problem doesn't apply to them needs to wake up and smell the roses. Yeah. You know, I learned a hard lesson when from my grandmother. She said, if you're too shy to, to ask, if you have a question to ask in a room, don't ever be too shy or embarrassed to ask it because more than half those people probably are thinking the same thing or too embarrassed right. to ask. <laughs> so. You know, I, you know, I've spoken to many, I've had many, many customers before and I always say to them, no question is a stupid question. No mm-hmm. question is irrelevant. Just ask the question. Let's get it. Let's get everything on the table. And, and then if it's not relevant, great. That's that's now fine. We know. Perfect. Now we know. But but if you hold back, the likelihood is that something is going to come back and buy you. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So, being your company is what about four years old? Does that sound right? Yep. Yep. How how did how did that last year go when the pandemic hit and everything? Did did that kind of was that tough for you? Did you guys face some challenges that? Uh, that you were obviously not expecting or did that actually, did it help? And how did you, how did that experience go for you? So I think uh, my immediate response is that I'm grateful that everyone was safe and well. Um, I'm grateful that we didn't have to make layoffs or, um, you know, make sudden sweep. We were, we were fully remote anywhere as an organization. So we didn't Mm -hmm. have, 
you know, changes. There were certainly lifestyle changes, kids running around, et cetera, that we needed to, uh, that we needed to adopt to. Um, but it, it actually, it actually turned out for the better. And I don't, I mean this with full sincerity. I'm not trying to gloat here. Um, it, it gave us a chance and an opportunity to do some introspection. And we looked at, we looked at who we were trying to target and talk to. Um, and it made us realize that we were potentially, um, we had the prioritization of our target customers wrong. So we used that as an opportunity to, um, to reach out to the people that we did know because everyone was longing for contact. So it was actually easier to get in touch with certain people. Um, we, we made a pivot um, and we said, okay, if we're now looking to target these types of customers that fit this type of profile, what is it that we can do to de-risk that um that relationship so so again we 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 made some changes uh we looked inwards we improved the products we um uh we we spoke to customers active and we spoke to prospective customers and said here's what we're doing is here's how we're um, how we're looking at things and has here's how we're looking to present ourselves does that make sense to you um and we we came out of the pandemic in q4 of last year really really strong um we you know acquired a whole bunch of pocs enterprise customers um and and i've got to give full credit to the team for for knuckling down and and kind of you know riding riding that wave because it because there was a there was an air of uncertainty but we we saw ourselves through it that's really good to hear it uh i think obviously you know some were affected by it but I think for the majority, a lot of companies benefited from it, and I think companies also grew closer. Um, I mean, it was it, came from it. It it was it was digital transformation that was forced upon companies, mm-hmm. right? We we saw we saw a four hundred percent rise in the number of assessments conducted in Q two of our platform, in Q two of last year on our platform. That's crazy. Um, again, you know, Gabe, to your point, we. Uh, you you heard me say it's not what we do; it's the way that we do it. That's the problem. Um, pre-pandemic, we were asking whether it's security or whether it's privacy. We were asking what the organization does about those those things at the organization level. But now, when your supply chain, now when your third parties, your critical vendors, your critical partners are all working from home, are, are we asking whether? Every employee that works on on your engagement has a shredder in their house. Oh boy! Right? Do they have a printer? Do, is that is that printer paper being used by their kids to draw whatever they? My kids draw trains and cars, right? <laughs> to draw trains and cars, and is that printout likely to contain more than 10, 50, 250? I don't know if you're going to get more than 250 lines on Excel on a sheet of paper, but even if you've got 100 lines of PII, right, social security numbers, credit card numbers, medical record information, bank account numbers, and it's just sitting, you know, our printer just sits right here. My kids can come in, pick up a piece of paper and start drawing on it. I don't know where that piece of paper is going to end up. 
So what oh, we I found know where, was I know where it will. I can tell you exactly <laughs> where it will. In a pier per airplane thrown out the back window and I, down the street. <laughs> and the neighbors will see it. That's exactly where it will. Because I, I see one right now. <laughs> right, exactly. And 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 that, you know, that's been um that that example has been uh further supported by you know recent breaches like solar winds, right? Um, how quickly are we able as an industry to respond to the change in dynamics and therefore the change in the assessment that we conduct? Today, I have a you know a pretty standard GDPR, CCPA, um, CIPP driven assessment. Great. Well, if someone suddenly realizes that there's a there's a there's a meta tag in your Apple photos that can identify you, for example, right? How quickly are we able to bake that into our privacy assessments? We, right. We've spoken to um, some pretty well-known large organizations, financial services that have that have shared their um, their change management processes around changing an assessment. 90 days to change the assessment to change an assessment. Wow. Because I was just about to ask you because, because you terrified me for a second. I'm like, we, I, I've been talking to a lot Paper of folks who are, <laughs> yeah, I've been to, yeah, yes. Not the first time you've done that. I've been talking to a lot of folks who, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to figure out some of the, the lasting challenges that we will endure now that work from anywhere is going to be a persistent reality and not just for the 20% that it always was, but for whatever's going to be north of that 20%, right? Like work from home is now, or work from anywhere Mm -hmm. uh, has now introduced more people into that population. People that don't really, they're new to this, if you would, Um, Roger that. And uh, and so I was going to ask, you know, like it's good that, the assessments will tick the box and you will, you will have, you will have properly done your, your DPIA, your data privacy impact assessment, et cetera, and, or similar. Uh, But, but if you haven't updated your, your assessment to include risk factors that are byproduct of work from anywhere, good job on ticking the box, but, but just, you're you're still, still got a big bullseye on you. So that's problematic. You know, one of the biggest, uh, one of our biggest lessons learned uh, during during the COVID lockdown pandemic was that assessments were predominantly a compliance driven initiative. And what we started to realize was that most assessments didn't consider the um, operationalization. Wow, that's a big word for a Friday afternoon and the beer. Um, the operationalization <laughs> of uh, of those assessments. So, um, if you if you now consider that businesses need businesses were forced to survive and operate as a result of as a result of COVID. My, my question to those compliance folks, those risk folks, those privacy folks, even those attorneys, sorry, attorneys, I'm sure there's a, one or two on this, uh, on this podcast that will hear this. I get that there is a, a, a regulatory driver, 
a legal driver, a compliance driver to asking a question. I would invite those stakeholders to to revisit those questions and apply an operationalization lens. Like, what? how does that impact the ability for your organization? How does, how does you asking a question that covers your backside from a legal or a compliance perspective impact, accelerate, or hinder your business's ability to meet its business objectives? Yeah. Right? So do you have a shredder at home? What, why do we want a shredder at home? The shredder at home means that, you know, Johnny's not going to draw like pictures of the next door's cat or whatever, but it, it's going to mean that, you know, Johnny's parent can safely print, shred, right? That, so applying that operationalization lens, I think, is the opportunity for these compliance or uh, regulatory driven assessments to change um, and to to get more meaningful. Mm. That's quite deep, right? On a Friday. Yeah, that's deep. It is. Ooh, I mean, look, you, you've, already taken me to, you've already taken me to at least two places I wasn't expecting. And, you know, Cam and I say this often on the show, but, you know, it's the reason why we also enjoy doing the show is you, we, we get some seriously deep insights. Like, you, I know you say that somewhat in jest, but it is, but it is fascinatingly deep insights and it is spot on. And the only thing I'm, I'm now worried about is that you've given me more things to worry about on a Friday. <laughs> this is why we shouldn't record on Fridays, Cam. No, don't record take that on away. Fridays. <laughs> you know, there, not to, not to be a damn, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer or a Debbie David or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I heard recently, I heard recently from uh, in a, LinkedIn group. So, so we should just we should just be done with these assessments because they don't work. And I and I you know I raise an eyebrow and but what do you what do you mean by that? You know, well, there's there's um, there's tools that help you um, assess someone's landscape, someone's privacy posture, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so I responded with. It's not what we're doing. We're going back to the same thing. It's not what we're doing. We need to do an assessment. An assessment needs to happen. But the way that we're doing the assessment needs to change. If someone thinks that they can ask a linear set of questions, and by asking those questions that um, are not sent to the right people happen at a point of time, and that point of time is static, and expect to get a true view of uh, risks or opportunities. Come on, people! It's it's 2021. Like, wake up here! Right, right. We can get any cuisine from anywhere in the states delivered to our door in 24 hours or less. I can get Leo's bagels from Stone Street, New York City, delivered to my door with with my favorite toppings or cream cheese, right? But we're sending out these spreadsheets by email asking yes or no questions come on like like wake up smell the coffee <laughs> um and, and that's you know um the CISO at a pretty large financial services organization said to me um he said we have a 
you know, we, we have SOC 2 certification, we have the ISO certification, we're high trust certified, we're da 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 I cannot get out of answering these questions. Okay, if we know that the assessment isn't going anywhere, let's just make it less painful. Let's let's make it um for for what for for what it's worth, let's make it an enjoyable process. It doesn't need to be as difficult as it is, especially with the uh the technology and the innovations that we've got at our disposal. Be wary of anyone who says, should we just stop doing this thing and not do something in its place? I respect the not wanting to engage in the same behavior and expect different results because as someone once said that that is uh, that, that 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 starts defining craziness. But to your point, it was it was literally and I and I throw this quote around a lot, right? But it was 1945 in the crack up when when Fitzgerald wrote that one should be able to see that things are hopeless and yet be determined to make them otherwise. And Lord knows he wasn't the first one to have had that thought, right? Like that that thought goes way back to Moses and the people before that and 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 every other religion and or or philosophy, right? Like being able to see that things are thoroughly, utterly hopeless, but be determined to change them is really why you wake up to just protect. You, you know, yes is the short answer. And then the uh the slightly longer answer is well, you know, just protect doesn't just protect doesn't scan. Just protect doesn't uh, sure um, do any of those like wizardry sure. things. Man cannot live on bread alone. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna keep pulling on on, on the Bible analogies. I'm with you, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but the the uh, the response that I give to that is, as the custodian, be it of a data element, be it of a system, be it of a, a department, a team, a company, or a third party. You have responsibilities to move that move that object forward and continually improve. You can only do that by using all data and you know using using data that is available to you in a timely manner. Well, what do you need to get that data? You typically need to ask questions and therefore need to assess so how are we protecting and what are we protecting we we are enabling the flow of those data elements to come back to those decision makers so that they can make a decision about their area of responsibility Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and therefore just protect just protect yeah no i'm with you i appreciate that yeah so before we before we move on to the last segment, um, I always like to ask this question. But is there anything that we didn't talk about or that we didn't bring up or ask that you wanted to bring up or talk about? Um, well, I mean, we're gonna. I, I'm saving a few of these for the fun questions at the end. Um, but certainly, uh, I'd like to share um, a webinar that we're doing mm-hmm. um, with an industry leader, Michael Rasmussen, on the nineteenth. Uh, of May at 2 p.m., where we deconstruct um, recent incidents, data breaches, uh, privacy disclosures. Uh, If anyone needs uh, or wants more information on that, they can go to the Just Protect website where there is a registration page. I'm sure you guys will 
uh, do us a favor and, and send that link out. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, that aside and the plug aside, sorry, shameless plug, um, I want to I want to give a little bit of hope to um, those in the audience that may be a little bit overwhelmed. Oh, my God, it, this is too much. I don't know. I don't have I don't have time and I don't have money and I can't buy tech and I'm I can't even use my iPhone properly, right? There, there, there is hope. And and that is that you can get started on this journey for, for absolutely no money. There are plenty of resources out there um, uh, that the private sector provides, that the public sector provides. Um, CISA is a great new organization in the government sector that provides, you know detailed privacy privacy assessments or risk assessments there are step-by-step guides on the excuse me on the nist uh, national institutes of standards and technology websites that help even the smallest of organizations start with where is the data you've got to start with that and then who's going to want data who needs access to that data and really who doesn't need access to that data and and by starting there, you can ask the educated question. So I just, again, want to give that glimmer of hope. You know, I, I, I laugh. My my wife uh, went to Villanova and graduated in 99. So before she met me, guess what? Her password to absolutely everything was Nova 99. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now was it just Nova 99 exclamation mark? No, no. Now she speaks socially on the the threats of uh, cyber hacking. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's it can be overwhelming if uh, if you're approaching it for the first time. But those of us in have been in the industry uh, for a while are always willing to help um, and are always willing to point someone in in the right direction. And I just want to uh, want to give those people that are new new to this space. The knowledge that they can reach out um, to me, to Gabe, I'm sure, um, to you, Cam, and and we could, if not, help them uh, at least point them in the right direction. You are going to regret that because Cam and I were talking before this show, and and you know we've gotten a lot of requests to do some different and interesting things, and and we were thinking about uh, you know having a separate segment and session where it's literally just a very very short, like 15 minutes. Q&A because we get a ton of questions. I get a ton of questions. Scott G gets a ton of questions. We might we might make you the first one. We might make you the first I'd, one. I'd, I'd look forward to it. Because I'm fire like, yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, I agree with you. There's, there are a lot of resources. It's why we do this show. We we aim to educate, inform, share, and uh, and yeah, it's uh, th- there are certainly a lot of resources that folks can get to, but I'll be honest with you, having been in some of these scenarios, just even knowing where those resources are, Mm-hmm. is the first challenge. Like, right. where do I even find said resources that you mentioned right. that were free? So, yes, you 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 may you may come to regret that. I will I will have <laughs> no them problem. knocking. I will have them no, emailing no you all day with questions. <laughs> <laughs> Hello at justprotect.co. There you go. 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 Shoot all your emails there. There it is. There it is. Awesome. Well, let's move on to our deep dark secrets. <gasps> Um, <laughs> how, how deep and how dark is the question? <laughs> well, that's for you to find out. <laughs> the year is 1989. <laughs> it's a 
balmy night out. <laughs> You're not quite sure of your surroundings. Oh my Look god! Jeez. <laughs> Many moons ago. Many moons. <laughs> um, I got some doozies for you. I got some new ones. Um, so okay. If you've listened to the show before, I might have some some new ones for you. But here, here's the first one. Would you rather be quarantined with no internet or be or not be able to go yeah, outside? The second one. The second one. Whatever the second one is. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, quarantine with no internet, or what's the other one? Or not being able to go outside. Uh, I would forget the internet. I'd rather just go outside. Yeah. It's an interesting question. That's, that says a lot about someone. Yeah. yeah. It's hard. I, 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 I joked with someone that wanted to offer me a job once, and I said, uh, I said, you couldn't pay me enough. And he said, how much do you need to get paid? And I said, $30 million, because that'll buy me a desert island. And throw my phone in the water as soon as I arrive and just leave me alone. Because I'm sure that it's got a tiki bar and <laughs> somewhere for me to get coconuts. Right. I'm cool with that. <laughs> That'll work. What is something that you think you absolutely could not do alone? Uh, raise my kids. Yeah, shout out to moms again. Gosh, this ah, is three three episodes three in, in a row. Moms, <laughs> yeah, shout out to yeah. moms. Because I, I, I saw speaking of, but because put a, an amazing post about his 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 mother on LinkedIn. Uh, on a might, might have been a couple months ago too. I'll, I'll put that one in the show notes because because moms have come up three weeks in a row. So shout out to moms, and I'm going to make sure that yeah. one gets in the show notes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Um, what is I always like to know this about people, but what, what is your biggest pet peeve? What really makes you? Oh, um, professionally or socially? Both. Okay. Professionally, my pet peeve is when people who want to talk to me and set up a meeting don't show to that meeting. (laughs) Who does that? Oh my God, you'd be surprised. You would be surprised. It happens. Um, and to be fair, like we all understand shit happens, but shit happens. But just, there's some there's some just people. Just let a guy know, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like, come on. Title of the show, shit happens. Shit happens. <laughs> yeah. Um personally, um I'm a Brit, so please and thank yous. Mm-hmm. Right? Just right. being being a little bit polite. Right. Um, you know, especially in, especially to those in like the service industry, like you, you're not royalty. And if you were, you would have a butler and your butler would get your food. So the fact that you have to ask for your food, at least be a little bit polite. Absolutely. I I think I I definitely want to give a a shout to anyone that was working service industry or in healthcare during a pandemic, because you guys uh, kept many, many, many countries going. Indeed. So this food industry and yeah, the service industry, just even before the pandemic, that is, yeah. it's not easy. People are, people are terrible. Yeah. Right. We, uh, and if you, you hear me, you know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> we held, uh, we, we, when, when the pandemic was starting to really ramp up, Spirian, Spirian had a bit of an outreach program that our CEO spearheaded called uh, this one's on us where we purchased meals for those families of service industry workers. And uh, I'm with you. Uh, my father was, uh, he was a service engineer. He was a chef. Right. Yeah, it's tough work. It's tough yeah, work. My, my, parents, uh, my parents had a catering business for over a decade. Yeah. So I, I get oh. it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember if I mentioned this on a previous podcast, but it reminds me of, did you guys ever see that movie? It's on Netflix now. It's called chef. It's with, um, uh, Oh gosh, blanking out. Um, he's, he's the director of the new Mandalorian series. Jackson. I don't know. I'm making Jackson. No, (laughs) (laughs) no, he did all the Iron Man movies too. He's, uh, he was a guest star on friends. Um, I'm blanking now. This one's all you. <laughs> John, Gabe, and I are just looking at each other, going, oh, "Okay, I guess." <laughs> sure. I'm going to put it. I'm going to put it in the show notes. If you haven't seen the movie Chef, go watch it. <laughs> it's a good movie. I will. Uh, I will vouch for it if I have any credit at all now after <laughs> this. <laughs> uh, all right, this is a good one. Um, if you could cast yourself. And your life in a movie. What genre would it be, and who would play you? It would have to be a comedy, even even though it's like a suspense thriller kind of jam. It would have to be a like, like a Johnny I, English. I, like, I mean, I, I'm a, I like stand up. Like, yeah, I'm a mm-hmm. big stand up. So it would have to be like really witty because. I think I'd much rather people be crying because they're laughing a lot rather than <laughs> crying because like it's such a like <laughs> a crazy story. Um, who would play me? That's a really good uh, question. Um, they would have to obviously be some shade of brown. So no offense to anyone that's not brown, <laughs> just to get there, just to get some sort of uh, accuracy. But I think um, you know if I could get a. Uh, um, what about like uh, uh, like a Riz Ahmed meets Russell Peters or a, a Z, uh, Aziz Ansari kind of like some sort of hybrid where the person could be serious and in the mode. So Riz Ahmed, big shout out to him. He's <laughs> done a crazy Love amount it. of things. Yeah, no, I'm a big um, fan. Big fan. Um, and someone that could equally be be oh, what's that guy out of um, Silicon Valley? Uh, oh, oh, uh, um, I know who you're talking on. about. That's as good as Cameron's freaking. He played. Did he? Did he, <laughs> did he, did he play Dinesh? Yes. That you yes, knew that. exactly. That you knew that. <laughs> I, I did. <laughs> I did. Oh my god, that's great. So yeah, I, I maybe, you maybe they could have show. like inter- interchanging roles or something. Like you know. Um, one would play the serious bit and the other one would play the funny bit. Uh, Kumal, Kumal Nanjini. There it is. There yeah, you go. There you go. But it, it would have to, it would have to be a comedy because I think we, we all take, uh, ourselves a little bit too seriously and who doesn't need an extra bit of laughter in their life. Cam's answer, by the way, is a Bollywood film where he would be played by Jim Carrey. <laughs> I don't Nobody know how you're gonna that. how you're gonna put that in. Because yeah. does because does Indian dancing on podcast. <laughs> oh, God. Awesome. Um, what's your what's your TP situation like over there? Is it uh, when you guys put it on the roll in the house? Do you guys put it uh, over the over the top or under? Depends if the cleaning lady's been or not. If the cleaning ladies have been in, it looks like it looks like hotel style. They do the little triangle and stuff. 
if uh, if the boys have been at it, um, I'd be lucky if the toilet roll holder is still on the wall. <laughs> I have um, walked into like, you know, when they first noticed that that thing, the toilet roll thing went round and round. My God, oh, you went through like, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I would say I would say generally good. <laughs> that's a that's an interesting question, but we. Um, yeah, we're we're on top of our TP game, and I'm I'm the OCD person that likes to make sure that the two pieces are actually like aligned, and they're not they're not got that funny overlap thing that yeah. happens. Yeah, that's probably the worst thing when you grab it and it it rips a little bit and goes around. And yeah, you and you're like, like ah. match. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, thankfully, I have a, a, I, I, have a answer, the, I have a toilet in the office, so. I'm on top of my TP game in the office. Yeah. Well, the reason the reason yeah. for the main the main question on it is <laughs> here we go. <laughs> is is it is it, it's basically there's two types of people in this world, and we want to know what kind of person you are. So <laughs> you either have the toilet paper roll on the top when you grab it, or it's underneath. So you're grabbing it from underneath. Some people tough. just like to see the world burn. It's it's tough. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I have noticed a trend, though. Anyone with children, their answer tends to always include the little asterisk of, I am happy if there is any TP in there when I right. when I there, right? <laughs> <laughs> like that is that is one A and one B is is I am happy that there is TP and I will I will take it in any form that it comes. <laughs> I, I want to make sure that the, our kids don't realize that we have Costco membership for a very oh, long boy. time. <laughs> Because otherwise they will really um they'll really take advantage of the yeah, but the supplies, Jack, or the supplies. <laughs> there it is. Full stock. Background to toilet paper for right, those. our listeners can't see it, but but my background is now from uh from early pandemic hoarding of of tv and as you can tell from that picture it's it's the low quality stuff that like bubbles and that like bubbles yeah. <laughs> yes you don't you don't need that in your life you don't need that <laughs> um one one last one for you if if you had uh, a time capsule and you can put one thing in that capsule and then you can open up in, in 10 years what would you put in there that's a really good question Um, can't be Deutsche coin. coin. <laughs> yeah, don't the the match results of every Liverpool game in the nineteen twenty season, where we won the league, the European Cup, and the World Cup Championship. Okay, that's pretty good. That's so you're a soccer fan. I am indeed. Yeah. Or football is what you football, guys. Football, yeah. Um, which uh, I, I lied. That's not my last question. What's your favorite movie? Because I'm curious now. I have a few. Um, I, I'm a. I love the Godfather one and two. Oh yeah. Um, that's probably up there. Um, but the movie that reminds me of my childhood the most is um goonies oh god it's a classic my my sister and i on that one vhs would just watch the goonies over and over and over again 
It's such a classic shout out though. To my sister. <laughs> shout out to your sister. What's her That's name? It. Mumta. Mumta? Mumta with an M. Yeah. Oh, Mumta. Yeah. Well, because this has been probably one of our longest episodes. <laughs> and and I think I'm pretty sure Gabe, I'm speaking for Gabe as well. We really enjoyed ourselves. I know Gabe, uh, this is the first time I got to meet you and I really, it was a pleasure getting to know you and uh, really, really excited to see where Just Protect goes in the next few years. And uh, hopefully there's some collaborations and maybe we'll have you on. And I know Gabe, uh, we'll, I think we're going to try to do that first thing with you as our first guest, but thank you so much for what you do. And, you know, being in this industry um, for um, the years that I've been in it, I, you know, I really appreciate what you're doing and what, uh, your, you know, your, your overall agenda and everything. So thanks. Thanks for coming on the show and taking the time. Thank you very much for uh, the opportunity. And um, I echo um, a lot of what you said. I look forward to future collaborations and um, yeah, I'm, I'm also excited about what you guys are doing, putting the message out there because it can seem overwhelming. It can seem particularly privacy. Um, it can seem overwhelming. Um, so bringing it, to the people, making it a bit more accessible. I think uh, we're just chipping away as um, we're all chipping away at the problem, right? Indeed. I'll reiterate the same. Thank you as well. I appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate that you see that things are hopeless and that you are determined to make them otherwise. <laughs> I do confidence. That. I do, I it's, do. It's, it's, either, it's either foresight or stupidity. I can't, hey. I can't quite <laughs> figure out which one. Either way, we're going to get rich and die trying out here, right? Like, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> well, I, I just recently taught my kids, uh, you know, that they're slowly getting into Star Wars and uh, where Yoda says, uh, you know, Luke says, I'm going to try and, Yoda says, do or don't do. There is try. no try. There is no try. <laughs> there is no try. Are you a Mexican so, or a Mexican? So thank you. <laughs> thank you very much for doing. I mean, it 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 takes a village, as they say, and uh, we we at Just Protect certainly uh, appreciate everything that you guys are doing as well. True story. Well, Vikas, I thank you for your friendship. I thank you for your participation. This has been awesome. It's been a great show. Uh, can you tell the folks one last time? There it is. Where can they find you? Where can we where can we hook up with Vikas? Uh, so on Twitter and LinkedIn, I'm Vikas Bhatia UK. Um, JustProtect.co is the company website. Uh, hello at JustProtect if you want to send us an email. Done. Done and That's done. We'll awesome. make sure all those things get in the show notes. You've got an upcoming webinar. We'll make sure we put in there as well, too. And that beautiful post you had about your mom, we'll make sure we include all that. Vikas, thanks again for coming on the show, brother. I really appreciate it. And and as uh, as Brian, who helps me out on uh, our our videos, like to say, listen, you clappers, it's a wrap. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> <laughs>wanted to thank all of you out there for tuning in each and every week and to all of our amazing guests for coming on i know that there are millions of other shows and it means the world to have you with us on this journey we are so grateful that you choose to listen to us each and every week if you like the show tell a friend have them tell their friends and then make maybe make some new friends along the way uh, so we can continue to spread the word and keep learning together let's protect what matters most and by the way dj can you go ahead and drop that outro beat and keep it classy? We'll see y'all next week.